Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Carl Mack. Welcome back to Combat Chronicles. There'll be no talk of Bilal the Blanket Muhammad today. And there'll be no boxing either for you Errol Spence fans out there. That'll be next weekend. Uh, next weekend's episode when I just talk exclusively about Tyson Fury and Dillian White. Today we're going to look at two bouts that happened this weekend. Both MMA, both non-UFC. Uh, which will sure be you know poison to some of you and some of you will be quite happy to hear. But um, the reason I'm doing this episode in this kind of format is that uh, both bouts had sort of similar narratives going in. And they both ended in totally different uh, manners, both to their first uh, bouts uh, and different to each other. So it's interesting to see uh, both how they were different to their the first bouts and what different approaches uh, the loser had. Uh, and also uh, the loser of the first bout, that is, and how it worked out for them or didn't. So two veterans against two young upstarts. Veteran got smashed first time round. Let's see what happened in the rematch. And the first rematch we are going to talk about is the rematch between AJ McKee and Patricio Pitbull uh, from Bellator 277 uh, this past weekend. I guess it was Friday, April 15th. And it's for the Bellator 145-pound title. Now, in the first fight, uh, Patricio Pitbull got basically blitzed early and choked by a younger, larger, more athletic opponent. And you know, Pitbull's got a lot of miles on the clock. He's a veteran of the sport. Um, for those that aren't aware, he was—he's uh, probably, in my opinion, the—he's been the best fighter outside the UFC essentially for for a while. People will say Horiguchi, but for me, I would say Pitbull, just based on resume. Um, obviously, he's got a win over Michael Chandler, who's a prominent 155 pounder, and Pitbull's quite a small 145 pounder, as you know, as played out in, in the two fights with McKee, but also had this brilliant run, this kind of. Uh, pseudo round robin with uh, Daniel Strauss and, and Pat Curran a number of years ago probably about half a decade ago or, or longer now um, and uh, at my point in in my opinion they were the three best uh, 145 pounders that have never fought in the UFC um, so definitely an important fighter and, and a great fighter in my opinion an all time great fighter even given the fact he's never faced the actual number one in the world so that gives you an idea of the depth of his resume and how quality he is um, but for me it looked like he was well out uh, well out of it now, seeing as McKee is so much bigger, so much faster. And basically in this fault, we saw that bigger and faster isn't necessarily the best thing to be if you lack a defined process, because that was the problem for McKee in this one. And the changes Pitbull made were apparent from the get-go. 
he didn't he, he basically stayed uh, outside of McKee's kicking range as much as he could and McKee's kick, kicking game was basically uh, exposed quite quickly it was all based on sort of athleticism and flashiness throwing himself all over the place trying to land kicks um, definitely some nice sounding kicks and some clean kicks he, he's got a you know, decent range of motion on him but once Pitbull was able to see him coming he was able to ga- gain confidence and gauge the range a lot easier as the rounds went on we'll We'll talk about that and, and how important that was to the do- dynamic of this rematch. What Pitbull did was he was established his own low kicks as a threat, always being uh, an important weapon for him, and then able to build off that in the sense that once he had McKee think about those, then he was able to come forward and start working in punches as well. One thing that's really interesting to me is what Pitbull, Pitbull did defensively, which was try and stay inside the range of McKee's kicks, not allow him to catch him on the end of them. So when McKee started launching his attacks, Pitbull just took a step closer to him and they either sort of just skimmed him or uh, just waved helplessly past him. And then Pitbull was able to cut the distance because he'd already taken that step forward. So McKee was telegraphing his shots, not setting them up, usually one strike at a time. He got a bit better on that later on in the fight, but it was kind of sort of probing and wide punches. Um, And the punches actually were a big deal. in the negative for McKee. This was a Southpaw versus Orthodox matchup. And if you guys don't know what a cross counter is, it's when you got Orthodox versus Orthodox or Southpaw Southpaw. You step inside the jab and throw your backhand over the top of the jab like an overhand, counter punch and catch them coming in. And McKee, I think it was in the third round, he was so heavy over his front leg, so leaning so far over that when he threw his backhand, Pitbull was able to step inside that and throw a cross-counter. And it was a really nice, clean shot. So, McKee was putting himself out of position uh, just through sheer lack of refinement of technique. And Pitbull was able to get in the position he wanted to be by McKee just having no process of setting up his own kicks, which meant he was easily telegraphing them and Pitbull was pretty easily picking him off. Now... In the fourth, uh, was it the third or fourth? Either way, Pitbull did an ill-advised guillotine. Good for scoring, not so much for an old man's gas tank. And later on, McKee was a little bit stronger, but sort of positional grappling and, and strikes. And it did work in some punches late in the fight, but it seemed to me more a case of Pitbull slowing down. In terms of the matchup itself, as I say, Pitbull had a pretty good read on McKee this time round. Didn't get blitzed early. That was one of the important things. And was able to pick his spots and easily read how the fight was going, and basically just picked McKee apart and just old-manned him, essentially. He just showed way more craft and way more knowledge of what McKee was trying to do uh, and, and neutralised what he was doing and, and worked into what he wanted to do. It was a pretty easy fight to call in terms of the scorecards, and it was really nice to see Pitbull bounce back. Speaking of those scorecards, Antonio McKee, AJ's father and uh, MMA veteran, uh, told him that he was he was up going in I think into the fourth round, so or maybe going into the last round. But either way, McKee was completely dumbfounded when he lost the decision. But whereas to me, it was pretty clear that he was a step behind Patricio Pitbull throughout much of the fight, uh, especially after the first couple of minutes when Pitbull, let's say, made those adjustments to the kicks, stayed earlier on. He tried to stay outside him, then obviously established his own kicks and then started getting uh, more inside McKee's range to sort of blunt his attack. And uh, just thought it was a really masterful performance, really. And uh, pretty clear win, even though it was a competitive fight. And whether they'll do a third one or not, I'm not sure. But 
just seeing the dynamic and the change between the two fights and the adjustments that Pitbull made, not just coming into this bout, but also uh, within the bout itself. Uh, it's just brilliant to see for, for, for someone who's a long-term fan of him. And uh, yeah, he wins the £145 title back. Now, what's McKee got to do to uh, change that if they do indeed fight again or just going forward for his career? Well, he needs to sort of learn how to faint and sort of incorporate throwaways into his game because he's just sort of telegraphing his attacks by launching them essentially naked. And that's not good. He needs to be able to build on his offense like that, build into his offense by, you know, change. Actually, the the variance in his attacks is pretty interesting. He's got a few different types of kicks and he does, you know, Saw an intercept a knee at one point, and he does throw a mix of straight and and and, and sort of wide punches. Uh, the jab is pretty much non-existent at this stage. Uh, but as I say, it's mainly a case of he's got the shots, but he's got no variety in his setups. So it's just pretty easy to see. Um, we know he can grapple. He's a really dynamic submission grappler, and I think that's definitely the strength of his game. So if he can learn better to set up his strikes he can then use them to better set up his shots and, and his takedowns and and maybe get a bit more creative with his grappling but basically I think that he just needs to com- need a complete not a complete overhaul but needs to refine what he's doing yes he's got some interesting weapons but once he had them taken away from him he had no means in order to get them off so he was just lost at sea essentially so in the first veteran versus uh, new blood uh, rematch we looked at the veteran turned the trick and got it done. In the second one, that didn't actually happen, but the fight was somewhat different to the first one. Uh, if AJ McKee was all at sea in this fight, then Ayaka Hamasaki was very much all at sea in her first fight with Seika Zawa, who was the Combat Chronicles Fighter of the Year for the inaugural uh, episode, the inaugural uh, awards episode. I think it might even be the first episode of this podcast, actually. But, um, yeah, the, this fight was... Much of the same from the first one, but Hamazaki was able to be more competitive, and we're going to look at that just after this. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews, and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com/slash Combat Chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five-star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. So yeah, the Bellator card had some more fights of interest than just the main event and so did Rising 35 from this past Sunday, 17th of April. But as I say, for narrative purposes, we're only talking about one fight from each card. And before the break, obviously, I said what our fight was going to be. It was the rematch between Seiko Zawa and Ayak Hamazaki. Now, Hamazaki, obviously, a veteran of the sport and for years been one of the best uh, female fighters below £115. Um, and yet again, got essentially completely wiped out by Zawa. But a few little things that made this a slightly better fight for her than it was first time round. You weren't really able to change her approach much, um, and so she's primarily a grappler, and Azawa is a grappling uh, phenom, essentially. Uh, Hamazaki was able to grit out more this time, 
able to scramble a bit more this time and even able to get in a pretty deep armbar, which is how I managed to turn out, uh, turn into and then get out of. Um, but looked for a second there, like Amazaki had pulled something out of the bag. But generally, um, Izawa's transition game, her up kicks, her knees when she has the front headlock, um, essentially she appears utterly built for the rising rule set. Uh, if she gets a body lock on you, you're essentially fucked because her trip takedown game appears... Uh, basically unstoppable for, for women of her size. Uh, and once she is on top of you or in side control, she's just ruthlessly going through the gears. And um, in the first bout, she got mounted triangle and pounded uh, Amazaki with ground and pound and, and uh, elbows to the head, which uh, got the finish. Obviously, Amazaki was not knocked out, but they had to stop the fight because she was in such a bad position. Uh, this time around, uh, she managed to keep trying to trying to advance position to stop uh, Zawa raining down blows. But as I say, when she was on top, the up kicks were brutal. When she was uh, on the bottom, she was getting kneed in the head. Um, or just basically just ground out. And Zawa's pretty relentless in her own uh, attempts for submission. So you're not in a very good position with her. Uh, she reminds me a bit of a female Charles Oliveira in that regard. Uh, in terms of uh, people won't really want to grapple with her because she's just so active. Um, obviously Charles came on a lot in the striking and is our, as I said before, got somewhat of a functional striking game, somewhat janky and somewhat interesting, as I said before I mean, from the episode four months ago if you remember everything I said in that one uh, but obviously she got a lot to go in that regard but it cannot be stressed enough that you know, there's not really anyone out there that can challenge her um, there'll be some interesting fights for her but I don't think there's anyone out there that can challenge her outside of some sort of uh, bizarre one crossover with Angela Lee. I don't really think she'll challenge her either, but she'd be the she's the most interesting fight out there. Um Ryzen has got an abundance of tiny women, so there's gonna be plenty of people to throw at Azawa and it is MMA after all, but at this stage she looks to be basically the best female fighter under hundred and fifteen pounds. She's the rising at, uh, super at weight champion, so hundred and eight pounds. She can clearly make one oh five. Um so yeah, I'm sure she'll win other titles. Um but in terms of skill set and just aptitude for the game. This girl only started MMA a couple of years ago, and she is just blasting through legitimate fighters, uh, and it's just blasted through a fighter who is a legitimate all-time great uh, in in women's MMA. So, as I say, Hamazaki was not able to make the adjustments that Patricio Pat Pitbull did, and actually, you know, uh, come close to you know putting forward some sort of functional game that allowed her to win. But Hail Mary Armbar. Pretty nice, and uh, you know, was able to. She was in a lot of rough positions in this one, but nothing as bad as she was in the first one in terms of the amount of triangle. So, all in all, uh, a nice rematch, nice to see. But the flip side of what we saw in the Pitbull McKee fight, uh, veteran smarts were not able to overcome the streaking youngster in this one. And Izawa uh, is just not only clearly brilliant at MMA, but just amazing to watch. Um, and it's, it's a shame that she'll probably never be able to fill out to £115 because um, I think if, if she could, it would be amazing to watch her against you know, bigger names on, on a bigger stage. Um, but, you know, for anyone who has followed uh, tiny women's MMA, and I've only done sporadically over the years, so there have obviously been some really uh, you know, famous fighters over the years, you know, Fuji, for example. Um, but, you know, if you want to get into women, women's MMA that's actually really good there's a tiny tiny gals you got to look out for and uh, 
is hour for me is just must watch TV and clearly uh, wow one of the best women's MMA fighters worldwide regardless of weight so if you haven't found uh, check that one out if you didn't watch the Rising Pay Review check that out as soon as you can uh, and if you've got any thoughts on, on these bouts and, and, and my interpretation of them, as always, hit me up on Combat CHR on Twitter, which is C0MBATCHR. And if you want to get some bonus stuff, head on over to www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. Just this week, put up a right or robbery on Habib Nurmagomedov versus Glayson Tebow, one of the most controversial decisions of the modern age. Uh, so yeah go and check that out and, and support the podcast and how we keep the lights on until this week's podcast which as I said earlier is going to be completely about Tyson Fury versus Dillian White this is me signing off and I'll see you then are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.